Um, today, we are, as Graham said, we're carrying on a, a series called Everyone's a Witness. Now, uh, I don't know when you hear that phrase, what emotions that conjures up inside of you. What, how do you feel when you hear, everyone's a witness? Jesus tells us in his word that if we are in him and we believe him, you are my witnesses. So there's, a, there's like a guarantee of that. It's an instruction saying, you are my witnesses, go and live it. And uh, uh, for me, when I hear that phrase, there's been points in my life where I feel fear. I'm like, I am your witness. How on earth am I supposed to witness of Jesus? He is perfect in all of his ways. Then that's my first downfall is the fear of I will never meet his perfect standard. My second fear is when I live in witness, that means I've probably got to speak and act and share all his goodness and just be out there as a witness for him in the face of a society that probably doesn't always accept what Jesus says. That can also fill me with fear sometimes. But there's other times where it fills me with great excitement of going, whoa, God commissioned me to go and be a witness for him. And he does the same for you. At the beginning of the year, we introduced our theme, Intimacy and Increase. And obviously, increase, we've said before, could mean uh, lots of different things. But one of the things is living for him to see his kingdom come. And part of that is being his witness, acting right and speaking truth. And so we thought we need to run a series, a mini one of everyone's a witness. It's an instruction for you. It's not something that if you believe in Jesus, you can just pass by. We can't go, oh, that's, that's for Graham. He's a witness, not me. Jesus instructs all of us. You are my witness. So I look at that now, as I said, with those fears sometimes and excitement. But then I look at it and go, isn't that beautiful? God, who could do all things by himself, if he really wanted to, chooses me to be his witness. He chooses you to be his witness here on earth. Last week we heard from Adrian on supernatural witness, which is a type of witness. And today we're looking at um, being prepared to witness. And next week Graham's going to finish off the series in being confident in witnessing. I'm just going to read a, a passage quickly from Acts, and I think Graham will pick up on it next week. It's Acts 1 verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witness in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now that's quite a famous verse. And what some people don't always realize this, um, that's Jesus' last words before he ascends into heaven. He says, that he says this and they kind of go, oh, Jesus ascends. And they're like, where's Jesus gone? And this angel appears. So it's like Jesus' last instruction on earth is a commissioning and instructing that we will be his witnesses. And we can't get away from that. We can't. We can't, as I said, say, oh, that's for someone, but not for me. Jesus instructs those around him, you are my witnesses. And what's beautiful about this passage, again, is it wasn't just an instruction to those standing there. It's an instruction to all of us. Everyone's a witness. If you believe in Jesus, you are his witness. I guess the challenge is, what are you witnessing? Sometimes I do look at my life and go, yeah, I really feel like, okay, I'm doing that well. I'm witnessing Jesus in a great way there. And I look at other areas in my life and go, 
That is not honoring to God. I need to, Holy Spirit, help me, convict me, change me, transform me to become more like him. Because I don't want to witness Jesus in the wrong way. It's a great responsibility for all of us. And Jesus says to you today, before we look at anything else, you are my witness. If you believe in him, giving your life to him, you are his witness. But that's great. If we have that, it's exciting. As I said, with all these emotions that come with it, and as I said, Graham's going to pick up on that next week. But we need to look at today's topic, which is prepared to witness. So if we are going to be his witness, I do believe we need to be prepared. But when we read this, uh, when we hear this, often we go straight to, I must have every single answer for every single question that comes my way. I need to live perfectly every moment of the day. I need to be able to explain the intricacy of the Trinity and all these things in the Bible that are mysteries to some of us and some things are mysteries to all of us. And we start to condemn ourselves and feel guilty that we can't do it. And often we go to a passage in Peter, which we are going to look at today. I'm going to read it to you. It's 1 Peter 3, verse 13 to 17. Uh, I've cho- we don't often preach on the ESV, but I've chosen it on purpose because they use a word in verse 15 that I think is really important. Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense for anyone who asks for the reason for your hope that is in you. Yet, do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better for you to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. As I said, this, when we hear the topic of prepare to witness, often we zoom straight into verse 15 of that, because it, it says that phrase, I'll read it again, but in your hearts honour Christ that all is holy, always being prepared to make a defence to anyone who asks for the reason of hope that is in you. Now I'm not here to say those preachers that zoom in on verse 15 are bad in any way. There's some brilliant preachers out there zooming uh, to verse 15, but I feel for us today we need to be able to see the context of 1 Peter Why is he writing this? Where does it come from for us to get the full force of what he's trying to say there by saying, be prepared to defend the hope? Because I think it is way more than that. And once more, I just want to reiterate, if you think I'm here to give you the answer to every single question, that will not be happening today. Because I probably don't know, I definitely don't know the answer to every question. And even if I did, we'd be here forever just going through, this is this question, here's the answer. That's not what it is. Today, I want you to go out being prepared to witness for him, knowing what, how we should live and things like that. So let's look at the context of 1 Peter. Well, 1 Peter was written in Rome by Peter. Um, it was written in AD 63, and we'll come on to why that's important in a moment. And at that time, in Rome, Nero was starting to persecute Christians. They'd been martyrs already, but it's before the period where he's basically rolls out this, let's kill Christians. That's kind of his thing. He starts to really persecute Christians, but this is in the build-up to that. So they're in suffering, they're in persecution, but it's before the hardest part that is yet to come. It's written to churches in Asia Minor. We picked up in 1 Peter 1, it goes through 
where the, this letter is going to. It's like a circular letter. Now, I know we don't, I don't really get many letters at all. Everything's online for me. But I remember growing up, we used to get letters through the post randomly saying, send this letter to 15 people. Do anyone remember those letters? Was it just me? I kind of feel Peter's writing this. He's like going, right, make sure you pass it on. And that's basically what this letter is. He's addressing groups of Christians in different places because the principles are for all of them, not just for this one church. So he writes it to Asia Minor, these different places, and he, basically this letter is reminding them of what God has done for them and saying, he is worth it all, live for him no matter what comes your way. In fact, it, you could read it as a bit like a pastoral letter, saying, I love you, churches. I want to remind you and instruct you. In fact, Edmund, a guy called Edmund Clowney, he describes the letter like this. He said, pastoral, Peter's letter is surely that. The apostle seeks to encourage and reassure Christian churches in Asia Minor as stormy seasons of persecution begin. And then he jumps a couple of sentences. He says, in this letter, he, Peter, shows us what it means for Jesus to call us to pick up our cross and follow him. So what Peter does, he's, he's his pastoral letter saying, live for God, he's worth it. Live for God, he's worth it. Live for him. Be a witness for him. And in this letter, Peter does this wonderful thing where he intertwines what God has done and is still being with them in the person of the Holy Spirit, he intertwines that with, yeah, but you're going to suffer persecution. And suffering, it, this is, if you read it, go away and read 1 Peter, it's beautiful. It intertwines the two together. It's like saying, yeah, you are going to suffer, but remember that God paid it all for you. Remember that he's commissioned you to live like that. In fact, Peter, I think Peter views persecution as something not just to be endured, but something we can use for witness. And they do that by this phrase, be prepared. They know what's coming their way. They know what's coming their way. And you might be sitting there thinking, that's great. That's great for them because persecution did come. Nero did roll out this whole, let's kill Christians. But as Christians today, I believe it applies to us because we are persecuted. We promise that in the Bible. We will go through sufferings in some way. I don't know about you, but in the midst of persecution or suffering, it's probably easier to shy away from being a Christian. That's probably the easiest thing to do, isn't it? To go, yeah, I'm just going to push that to one side. I'm going to say no. And you could think, maybe Peter could write that in his letter. But he doesn't do that at all. He says the opposite. He says, no, you are called to witness. In the face of persecution, witness for him. And he's saying, be prepared. Be prepared for when it comes. Be prepared in all situations. Whether you're living a time when you're not in persecution or you're in persecution, be prepared to tell of the hope that is in you, that hope being Jesus. So we may face a little persecution compared to what they went through. But we do. We talked about it recently. Some of our, our views and some of Godly's, God's standings and his, what he says how we should live and his rules, sometimes they are under threat. We're told that they're wrong. Our decisions and our choices to live for him may be ridiculed. And that's something that was happening in this time as well. But Peter says, be prepared to witness you in those times. And church today, I, if you're a Christian here today, I'm saying be prepared to witness 
in the good and the bad. Don't shy away from witnessing in the suffering and only witnessing the good. Be prepared to witness at all times. But thankfully, Peter doesn't just say that and go, go and do it. In that passage we read, I, I believe there are five characteristics of witnessing that he says, that he draws on. So we're just going to run through them. The five things are, as we pick up, do good, don't fear, honour God, think right, and speak truth. You think, I only read about four or five verses. How did he, how did he jam-pack all that in? But we'll, we'll explore it together. So I'm going to go through them one more time. We see five characteristics of being prepared to witness. Do good. Don't fear. Honour God. Think right. Speak truth. We're going to go through them quickly. And what's really interesting about those things, those five areas, we see them witnessed and lived out in the life of Jesus. Do good. Well, we can't question that about Jesus, can we? We read again and again and again in the Word how good he is and how loving he is, how compassionate he is. He casts out demons, he heals, and things like that. Don't fear. He says, I only do what the Father tells me to do. And he has to stand up in front of all these people. And sometimes he's silent when he needs to be silent. And he's, he speaks when he needs to speak. He doesn't fear the people. He only does what the Father tells him to do. Honours God. He says, there's this passage where he says, God is good alone. He knows who God is. He knows he's God, but he knows who God the Father is. And says, yeah, he is good alone. He thinks right. We read again and again. He withdrew to the quiet place to learn and spend time with God. His thoughts were set on the Father. And we read, in, even in his early, like his teenage years, he spent time reading the scriptures and explaining them. Speak truth. Well, I'm sure we could read again and again how boldly Jesus speaks the truth in the Gospels. Whether it be truth of I love you, which is true for all of us, or if it's some of the hard things he has to say when he says to Peter, get behind me, Satan. He speaks truth. So let's go through these together. Do good. Well, we pick up in verse 13. It says, who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? And then at the end of the passage we read, verse 16, it says, having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that is God's will for you, than for doing evil. So when we are witnessing God and we're prepared to witness, what we see is a life that is radically different to those around us. Now, we've often said before that Christians don't have a monopoly on kindness. But what we do have is a commissioning from God to live his way. We have that. We need to live a life that honours God, that says, everything I do, I'm going to do for you. Everything, I, every way I act, I want to act in a way that honours you. I want to put others first. I want to, I want to yeah, I want to just... When I see a situation that scares me, I want to step out in boldness and faith to love that person. You've done it today in your offering. You offered your money, which is an act of doing good, to say, yeah, Kosovo, you're doing amazing things. Peru, you're doing amazing things. We want to do good by getting behind you. We're going to have an act of offering. You see, God calls us to live different lives. He calls us to live a life that honors him with our actions. Yes, We need to speak, and we're going to come on to that later on. But all of us, in the way we live, should demonstrate God, including myself. That is totally for myself. I need to look at myself and go, what ways do I live that doesn't honor you? What ways do I live that I need to change? Do I need to get before God and say, God, 
Change me in this. And that act of coming before him is a way of preparing ourselves to say, I'm going to listen. I'm going to follow what you say. In fact, God is calling us to be countercultural. That's quite a phrase that is thrown around quite a lot. And one of the ways we can be countercultural as Christians is to love the marginalized. We see it when um, the, the people moved in to Park Hotel. Where they come here on a Monday and a Friday and they're doing wonderful things on Monday and Friday with the people from Park Hotel. And we are loving them. When, when some of the community were rejecting them and saying, no, they shouldn't be here as a church, we said, no, we love them. We want to do good. We want to show them. We need to love the marginalized. That's exactly what Jesus did. And that is what Peter, Peter is saying here. Do good. Stand out. Look different. We need to love the poor and the broken. That's an instruction again and again and again in Scripture. We need to talk to them. We need to talk to people. We need to be bold in saying, yes, we understand that you're in a poor situation. You're broken. And we want to step in as Christians to say, here is God. And that is how we witness. That is how we witness. And you need to put yourself last. That is such a challenge, isn't it? Put yourself last. I sometimes struggle with that, um, honestly. I can look at a situation and go, oh, that would really benefit me if I got that. But then God is calling me to look at the situation and say, actually, I'm going to put myself last. This person needs to go first. This person needs to go first. I need to put them before myself. You think Jesus did that? Take this cup from me. But if it's the will of God, will of the Father... I will do it. He put himself last at the cross. So that's do good. One way, one characteristic of being a witness and being prepared to witness is to do good. Secondly, we see don't fear. Verse 14, but even if you suffer for righteousness sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. As I said earlier, fear, it can be something that stops us witnessing in the first place. So for us to be prepared to witness, we need to move our fear from a fear of man to an awe or a fear of God. Fear of man, when I look at it, it stopped me and crippled me so many times for stepping out for Jesus. I will worry about what people may say to me. I'll worry about how my actions look. Because my, my fear is in man. My fear is in how they will respond to me. But God wants me to fear him. And that means to stand or kneel in front of him in awe of him, knowing he is good. Knowing he is all-powerful. He is the Lord Almighty. He is the Lord Almighty. And I come before him and say, I'm sorry for what I've done wrong. I'm going to be bold in what you call me to do. In fact, in this verse, in verse 14, uh, lots of commentaries say it echoes the language of Isaiah. Isaiah 8, 12 to 13, where we're called not to fear others. He says, don't fear what others fear. And they, they believe Peter is, called, is bringing in some of those themes from Isaiah 8 to say to us, don't fear what others fear, fear the Lord Almighty in the right way. God is calling us to stop fearing man and start to have the fear of the Lord, which is a good and godly thing to have. See, when our fear translates from a fear of man to a fear of God, 
we start to feel in our hearts a boldness of knowing he protects us and he is with us. And he, when we look at him and go, I fear you because you're Lord Almighty, who has all power and all authority, everything else starts to diminish. Because we start to think, I fear God. I don't feel man. I don't fear man. And when I do fear man, I'm going to turn to God and say, God, I fear you. And it's a right fear. I stand before you in awe of who you are. And I want to be bold. I don't want to be consumed by fear. So I feel like with correct fear, we start to view things differently. We start to think eternity. We start to think eternity for us, first of all. We think in the midst of persecution, the fear of death is real for these people. The ease is to, no, I'm not going to witness. But they fear God more. And they know what God has done for them. So when, they're tra- when they translate the fear, fear of man to the fear of God, they think eternity and they go, where, O oh death, is your sting? And they say, I'm going to live for him. I'm going to live for him. I'm going to witness for him because I don't fear man anymore because God has the victory. And we start to think for eternity for others. We stop looking at the fear of man, what it may do to us, And we start to go, I know the reality. And if you're not a Christian here today, the reality is that unless we put our faith in Jesus, there is an eternity not with him in the worst place possible. But Jesus has made a way on the cross for you to come to him and say, I'm sorry for everything I have done wrong. I'm sorry for everything I've done wrong. He died on the cross for you and he, he is risen from the grave in victory. And as we put, repent and turn towards him, we say, God, I love you and I'm sorry. We are taken away from this place of eternity without him to a place of eternity with him that starts now. It is amazing. If you don't know Jesus today as your saviour, I'd love to talk to you afterwards just to explain what that means. To give you an opportunity to respond. Or maybe you feel like you've walked away from him a little bit. I'd love to stand with you and explain again what it means to live for him, to be his witness. Number three, honour God. But in your heart, honour Christ as the Lord, as holy. What this means for us is that we... It seems a bit weird when we honour Christ as holy because... Actually, the original wording of this, it says to sanctify God. Now, that seems a bit strange because I know that God sanctifies me. But what it really means, and in, in the original, it's saying to sanctify God, it means we set, we set him apart and we say, we know you are totally holy, you are totally, God, you're totally good, everything about you is good, there's no evil in you. To sanctify God is to recognise who he is. So it's, it's similar to having the fear of God. It's, so Peter is calling us to honour God with our lives. That, so we need to recognise who he is. Well, who is he? Well, he's holy. Holy, holy, holy God. He's perfect in all of his ways. He is always good. He is always loving. He is always just. We need to honour him in our heart, it says. So we need to have a heart position that honours the King of Kings. And we need a heart position that even when we muck up, because we will muck up, has a heart that comes back to the Father and says, God, I'm sorry. I repent. I want to live for you. I want to be your witness and we need a heart that worships. We need a heart that says, no matter what's going around me, in the middle of the storm, in the good times, I want to praise you for who you are. My circumstance doesn't define who you are, God. And this is what Peter was calling them to do as witnesses. 
to honour God, to worship him. I'm going to move on because I'm aware of time. We need to think right. It says this in verse 15, always being prepared to make a defence to anyone who asks for a reason for that hope that is in you. Peter says, be prepared to make a defence. Other versions don't use the word defence. It's probably it's closer to the original, it's the word defence. When people come to you and question you or criticise you or question everything about what you're doing in a negative or a positive, you need to be ready to make a defence. As I said, that doesn't mean you need to be ready to answer every question, but it means we need to think right. We need to be prepared, we need to be thinking the things of him. That it says, set your mind on the things above is, it, is something that Paul writes in for us. And we need to be doing that again and again daily. I'm going to set my mind on this. In fact, Bible in the one, one year has been talking about that as well recently. Spending time dedicated to set your mind on him and learn the scriptures. Learn what the gospel has done for you. When we think right, it makes it easier for the last step, which is to speak it out. We need to be ready to make a difference. Make a defense in this case means be ready to speak. Be ready to explain. When people come to you and question why you live differently, be ready to speak truth. Speak what God has done for you and what he offers them. Speak hope. Tell them the wonderful redemption story of the cross and what Christ has done for you in his death and resurrection. The fact there is forgiveness, there is victory, there is a relationship, there is identity, there is purpose, there is love. There's so many things that are wrapped up in the cross that is Jesus' death and resurrection that when someone comes to you, be ready to say those. And doesn't mean you get it right every single time. It means I'm going to tell them of what God has done for me me and maybe use your story say this is where I was and this is where I am now you don't need to have one of those stories where I totally rejected God and I did all these things and then he brought me back every single one of us in Christ has been taken from a place of death to a place of life so be ready to defend that hope is in you by telling others of what you have done what he has done for you speak boldly speak wisdom and speak love See, it says in, that, in the, that verse as well, speak in gentleness and respectfulness. When we do speak out in truth, we're not there to win an argument. We're not there to go, I've managed to persuade you, I feel really good about myself. We're there to represent Christ as witnesses. We're there to show someone that what Jesus has done for them. Remember the aim when you go into those conversations. For me, I remember in my past sometimes, I have been like that. I really want to persuade someone to become a Christian. I want to persuade someone to know that they, I'm right and they're wrong. But no. God has called me to be his witness, to speak in gentleness and in respectfulness. Keep it simple. Adrian picked up on that last week, actually. He said, when you're sharing the gospel, you don't need all the fancy language or anything like that. Just say of what God has done for you. And for me, the last thing that I think is really important when we're speaking truth, listen. One of the best tips I ever got for sharing the gospel with someone is listen to what they have shared with you. As I went through before, there's forgiveness, victory, relationship, identity, purpose, and love 
that is all, and so many other good things that all come at the place of the cross. Listen to what Sam is saying to you. If someone says, I'm feeling lonely, talk to them about how cross brings you into right relationship with God. If someone's saying they feel unloved, talk about the unconditional love that is demonstrated in love on the cross. If someone is saying that they feel so guilty, talk about the wonderful forgiveness that is seen on the cross. If someone's saying, I don't know who I am, talk about how identity and purpose is found in Jesus that is all represented in the cross. Listen to what's being said. Identify what they're saying and speak into their situation. It doesn't mean the gospel has changed. It just means you're showing them one aspect of the gospel that is relevant to them. And we see that actually again and again in the Bible, that people did that. They spoke, the disciples did it. They spoke into a situation what needed to be heard. Now I'm aware I, had to, I rushed through some of that, but I would love for you, for all of us to, to grapple with being prepared to witness. I'd love for you to all to go away today and go, do you know what? Jesus has called me to be his witness. Jesus has said to me, be prepared through, we hear it through the words of Peter, God has said, be prepared to witness, be prepared to make a defense. I'd love us all to go out doing good, knowing who he is, thinking right, speaking truth, honoring God. All of us need to be doing that. We need to be in our hearts going, I want to be prepared. I want to live for him every moment of the day. And that means I need to be prepared to be in my quiet times in my personal life. I need to be prepared to live in, when I'm out in public and I need to be able to demonstrate in church as well. Being prepared isn't something that limits us to one area of our life. Being prepared to live for him and be a witness is something that consumes every aspect of us. And remember, it's not something to feel guilty about. And it's not something you do by ourselves. Because the wonderful promises that the Holy Spirit goes with us and he's the one who gives us power, which is what Graham's going to pick up on next week. We're just going um, to invite the band up as I pray and we're going to just close with a time of worship. Father, I pray for all of us today. God, I pray that uh, all of us here will, will take today and what you have said, God, and commit it to our hearts and our lives. God, I pray for all of us that no matter whether we feel we're in a season of toughness, in persecution or suffering, or we feel like things are going pretty well, God, I pray for all of us that we're prepared to witness, that we're prepared in our hearts and our minds to speak and think truth and goodness. And God, we just pray for all of us that as we go out this week, you will give us opportunities to share your gospel, opportunities to do good. And God, I pray that we will all have boldness to step into those situations and follow that instruction you gave us that we will be witnesses to the ends of the earth. God, I just pray your Holy Spirit anointing over us all now, knowing that we don't go out alone doing this, but we do it all in the power of the Holy Spirit, in your power. And we pray this all in your name. Amen.